see if it's working or not. Into the session. Shazad says the live stream has now started. Is that true? We will find out in a second. Not until I see my face will I believe it. Yeah, it has. All right. We have a successful start. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wa la aqibatul mutsaqeen. Wa la udwana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'ta wa sahla. Wa anta tajlu al-hazna idha shi'a sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika. Wa husna ibadatik ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everybody. Alright, good evening here of course to all of you. Uh, how are we doing here with chairs and, and systems here? I think it's okay. I, I mean obviously we've got more ladies, we'll, we'll keep that there. Alright, so let's see who is benefiting from this online. You see, Aisha, we did this for you man. But Aisha is in Philippines, she gets a little bit extra sleep this evening by us being a bit early. And then we've got Pakistan and we've got Chido. Ijaz Mahz, we in Pakistan, Auntie Shakila from the States, Calgary in the house, Danish, Shazad Salim Dossing in Chido, Roshan's in Manchester, Ahlam's in Canada, Mashallah, Nadim down in Watford, and then Fiza. I don't know where Fiza is at the moment. Fiza, you in Pakistan now or in Hong Kong? And then you got Noor in London, Mashallah, everybody's there online. Mesa, we've got Albertans here. We have Umnuh, I think, on the way as well from Alberta. She's here in Medina as well. All right, folks, so. Um, Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, live LP again, it's a blessing. Um, and it theoretically could have happened in Mecca, but you know that it would have been a bit, bit stressful in Mecca because the getting of the room is not easy and the internet is not great in that uh, thing as well. And we've got an internet, we've got this nice room as well, so we thought we'd take advantage, get it done here, and you know, less hassle, less headache, and just job done. So, um, Alhamdulillah, the subject today is I realized before, where's uh, Danish saying, the real, the real question is, where's the chocolates? There's so many chocolates, uh, uh, Danish, to be honest, there's everything here actually. First is some chocolates. What's that in the red? Are those strawberry laces? Twizzlers. Twizzlers? Yeah. What's a Twizzler? Oh, American. It's like a B-Tech American strawberry lace, basically. It's an American, yeah? It's a P-Tech American strawberry lace. Oh, it's a P-Tech. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Door number, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah? I definitely saw some door number chocolate. I saw some Hershey's. Yeah. That one there, yeah? Yeah. Right? And I think a white one, which basically is like four times door number. Yeah. Yeah, like minus eight number. Yeah? And then what's this in Cheetos that? Cheetos and these are Cheetos is crisps. And what's that thing there? Wafers. Pizza. Wafers. What's wafers? Pizza, yeah, we've got cold pizza. Atiyah is the only claim to fame that she thinks that you know, that's, that's what people want, want to eat. We've got Toblerone, we've got Toblerone. 
Mesa, what are you hating for? Mesa, what are you hating for? Mesa's all right. Why are, we, why are we going on tangents so early? Why are we hating for? This is the Ganeshana time. Yara. What, I wonder what that packet is there. That, that. This one? Oh, is that Oreos? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's Oreos, yeah. Yeah, what kind of flavour is that? Uh, white. White what? Vanilla? Golden double. Golden, yeah. But it's from America too. Yeah. This is Costco from America. Yeah, Americans don't get this whole game, do they? They just bring a big bag. They just, yeah, they just go for quantity. They don't think about actually whether people actually like the food. No. Yeah? Yeah. Cello. <coughs> All right. Okay. Now, so the section that we're on um, is not translated. So we'll do it by uh, ear, this particular lesson, I mean. Um, and last couple of weeks, we're in the chapter of the congregational prayer. That's, that's where we're at right now in the class, right? Um, and what we spent the last few weeks covering is the issues of the obligatory nature of the congregational prayer. And we've established that it's a very difficult position to avoid. That it is an absolute obligation for males to not just pray in congregation, but pray in the masjid. Which is a shock shocking position to a lot of people. Especially because it's not necessarily the position of the majority of scholars. However, it's very difficult to argue against. So males should be praying all of their prayers as much as possible in the masjid. I say as much as possible, which is not the kind of word you normally use when something's an obligation. But the truth is, is that in a non-Muslim world, a non-Muslim country, working in the daytime, you can't go to the masjid. And so therefore, you know... I do think that a, a more practical kind of approach to this is that whenever you're not at work, you have to consider it an absolute obligation to attend the masjid. When your day is off, on the weekends, mornings, uh, Fajr and Isha, absolutely without a doubt, right? But yeah, yeah okay, Zohar and Asr, uh, 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 you know, Zohar and Asr is, is, and sometimes Maghrib, is going to be very difficult to get out of work and go to a masjid to pray. I have an internal joke, it's not very funny. It's very funny for me. But I recognize it shouldn't be funny. Whenever I go to the masjid on the odd occasion for a dhuhr or a asr, and I see the sheikh, I see our imam, I, say that, I always say to him, you know, salam, he goes, what are you doing here? He goes, yeah, I, thought to, I, said, I said to him, yeah, I thought I'd join you for the prayer of the unemployed. Yeah? And, uh, you know, he, he has a good giggle, but that's not funny, that, to be honest. All right? But that's the truth. You look at the dhuhr and the asr and whatever, and it's just the uncles and the the whatever you don't find anyone who's employed right although in fairness Chido masjid we get a few of the airport kind of folks come down because we're kind of close to them and some of them on their lunch break come down and a couple of office folks but the point is is that um uh, we really got to see it as an obligation and then we covered the issues of which masjid then takes priority to go to the closest the one that's got the biggest jama'ah blah 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 so we spent the last few weeks on that now we're going into a kind of like a bit of a nuanced uh, uh, angle or kind of um, uh, what did he start with now yeah so in Arabic today's text I'm going to read out the Arabic and then I'm going to offer like a, a translation uh, of the cuff and then we'll see how that goes the author says Imam al-Hajjawi remember the logical progression obviously we've got some people doing it for the first time logical progression is what it's a small text, tiny text, not tiny, actually, but summarized text on all of the legal system, all the fiqh that there is, according to the Hanbali school, all right, the school of Ahmed bin Hanbal, and the Imam's name is Imam al-Hajjawi, and the uh, text is called Zad al-Mustaqni', which is, you know, um, the title is indicating that it is a text which is sufficient for the one who wants to suffice themselves in everything to do with fiqh, and then we kind of give a detailed commentary to it. 
and that detailed commentary is using another commentary anyway, which is a commentary written by Sheikh Uthameen, and then I give notes and comments on top of the commentary. So it's just like a lots of layers on top of a very simple text. That text is as follows. We won't get to that. So in translation, it is not permissible to lead the congregation in a masjid that has a regular imam, except by his permission or if there's, an, or if there's a reason. There's an extraordinary reason. Okay? It is not permissible to lead the congregation you step forward, lead the people in a masjid that has a regular imam, imam ratib, unless he says, please, because you're a guest and whatever, or there's some kind of problem. وَمَنْ ثُمَّ أُقِيمَ فَرْضٌ سُنَّ أَنْ يُعِيدَهَا إِلَّا الْمَغْرِبِ The one uh, who, uh, now a completely different scenario, imagine there's a person who prays the prayer, like prays Salat al-Dhuhr, right? The one who uh, prays the uh, prayer, and obviously we're going to cover this today. Our whole lesson is going to be explaining this. But for example, prays at home. Or for example, comes to the masjid and prays it early. Right? And then suddenly the fard prayer, dhuhr, is established. The iqamah is given for the actual congregation. So you prayed it before the congregation, either at home or in the mosque. It is a sunnah for you to repeat it. It's a sunnah for you, the one who's already prayed it, to repeat it other than for the maghrib prayer other than for the Maghrib prayer. Then he continues. It is not disliked to repeat a congregation. It is not disliked to repeat a congregation except um, for the two mosques of Mecca and Medina. Medina, the Haram, Hamash al-Nabawi, and then Mecca al-Mukarrama, al-Haram, right? Al-Haram. That's the, the topics for uh, today. That's the topics for today. Uh, Savannah, are you not in Mecca yourself? I thought Savannah was in Mecca. I, I, I don't know what to, how, why I thought that. Anyway, so that's our topic today, all right, folks? So we're going to give that a bit of an explanation. So on page 153 of the commentary, by the way, we've got an app. But, I mean, when you're live, there's no point in going to the app, but the app is amazing. We're going to talk about nothing but the app these days. By the way, reminders, Mesa, on the live button and the Telegram group as well, please, in the thing. Easy, Tiger. Yeah, alhamdulillah. Ras, bro. Right. So, um, so on page 153 in the, in the middle of it, so what did our author say? The author said that it is not permissible for someone to lead the prayer in which there is an Imam Ratib. So there's already a certified imam, the, the imam of the area, and someone's going to go uh, forward. When we say imam rati, what does that mean? This is one who's been appointed either either the, by the people who are responsible or by the elders and the trustworthy and the powerful people of the masjid who are next door and so on and so forth. It's their local masjid. So either trustees of the masjid or the kind of the people of the hay, of the district, right? They're the ones who ultimately are, that's their local mosque. And we spoke about that last couple of weeks, that actually, you know, you might, there might be a mosque, you know, a, a little bit further down, which has got a great reciter. And 
might be a mosque which is massive and huge and there might be a mosque which is more ancient and more old but the mosque that gets your priority we concluded is the mosque of your area because if you don't go to the mosque of your area then it closes down and what do you think the mosque of your area was open for but to serve the people of the area with you keep getting off in the car going to other mosques right so the idea is to protect your local mosque apart the protection of the local mosque is to protect the integrity of the mosque and the integrity of the mosque is in the integrity of the imam right and that kind of loyalty and integrity is very important even if you might uh, you know uh justify for yourself come in yeah um even if you might justify for yourself that our, our imam isn't as good or our imam's voice is too old you know bad or old or x or y or whatever make some space guys come on there's another one person there there's another one person on the sofa here so relax uh sorry yeah sure move up a little bit come on girls customers are greedy man unbelievable right so you know what i mean you can't be you know saying that young lad you know let him lead you know he's got such a nice voice and things like this. this is about integrity this is about authority we're trying to make sure that we protect everything in this kind of you know with this move you know what i'm saying yeah um why can't you do that why can't you just just you know just because he's been put in authority uh maybe someone else is more qualified Maybe we do like the other person. So why can't he lead? There's a hadith in the matter. The Prophet Sallallahu he said, Right? That a person should not lead, um, or a man should not lead another man in his place of authority, in his sultan. The sultan is a word which is taking a place or like a, like a, a vibe where this person's in charge. So for example, so it's not a physical place, it's a metaphysical reality that moves. So this will be a man in his house when you go and as guests to visit someone, and you might be the big scholar and that guy's a normal guy, but it's his house, it's his authority. You know how a person is careful when you walk into, um, like you might banter with you know someone because they're your own age or your friends or whatever. But if his wife is there or his kids are there, you don't say certain things like bro code, right? It's man code that you don't bring a man down in front of his family or his wife or you get what I'm trying to say? Vice versa probably exists as well. I don't know. Women don't care that much, I don't think. Yeah. But men have that is at the end, definitely. That women should take a little bit more of, I think. Do should they? Or I don't know. I don't know whether they do or not. But the point is that men are careful about those things. You got to be careful, especially when someone is very close to you and there's a lot of banter, a lot of joke, you know, where you're cussing each other, everything. But in, the, in front of their kids, you don't cuss a man's father. You know what I'm saying? So in his kid's situation, he suddenly takes father role. When the kids get out of the car, he's at all right again. Yeah. So that is the same uh, uh, similar concept of walking into a house where, uh, you know, for the kids and the missus and everyone, this is the far, this is the key. The man is the key figure of the house. Some guy comes in, just bowls forward, and it, you know automatically you've denigrated, whether you liked it or not, indirectly the quality of his recitation and his authority, and you've you've done everything, you've questioned it, and you've insulted it without even trying. You, you get the point. So that's all been protected. Now there's a get out a get out clause here because the full version of this hadith. In fact, we have another narration as well that Sheikh Muhammad uh, Al Mukhtar mentions. Man zara that whoever visits, whoever visits a people, he must not lead them. He should not lead them, right? Again, you don't butt in, you know, and force your way through just because you're the big man. 
it doesn't matter, right? You do it in as in this version of the hadith, Unless it's with his permission. Now most of the time person's gonna be delighted. And the family see, please go forward from their father, yeah, or from this the you know the the the, 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 the patriarch of the family, the senior. It's a whole different vibe. You know, he wants him to lead, everybody wants him to lead, he allowed him to go forward, integrity is saved, and everything uh, happens uh, in this kind of uh, uh, manner. Salma asks a really uh, good question. She says, does this apply for parents too, right? So, you know, maybe parents are getting older, or maybe they're not getting older, and the son is, um, uh, you know, in, of leading prayer age or leading prayer ability, what happens in that scenario? And she makes it even more complicated when she goes, what if the parents visit the son? Right? So now the parents, he's your father, right? Visit the son, your son, and, you know, the son is like, I can never leave my father. Right? Um, I mean, that's, I th in my opinion, I think that's purely a cultural thing. I only think it's a cultural thing. Because it's not an Islamic thing. There's no... Uh, uh, from an Islamic, uh, I, uh, that's not to say that we don't take culture into account, but Islamically, there's absolutely nothing that indicates that it's an age basis when qualification comes in, I mean. So if uh, the son is more qualified and the son is more atqan, yani in, uh, uh, more complete in the, uh, in the hifs and the tajweed and the understanding of what to do and the, the variety of in recitation, etc., etc., then that's the person who should lead, okay? As the Prophet ﷺ said, let the one who is most versed, whose most kira'a is what you would translate that as. But actually, when I think, I've thought a lot about this hadith, I translate it not as the one who is most memorized or the one who recites nicest, which is the popular translation. People link it to niceness of recitation but i think it is coming from qira'a in the very generic sense versed so i see this as let the most versed of you lead you in the prayer right so when you do that the most versed yeah it has a slightly kind of a slight bias towards scholarly scholarship scholarship no scholarliness yeah it has more of a bias to scholarliness than uh, nice recitation, but it still allows for nice recitation, right? So how can we make this easier for you, Umnu? Uh, no, no, don't worry. So I'm saying that, uh, yeah, do you guys want to stay closer today or you want to come in here or how do you want to do it? Okay, all right. That's that's good then. So you guys occupy these chairs then. That's fine. Yeah, you take those chairs. Um, so, yeah. So so I, I I do think it's more a respect thing. I think it's more a respect thing. It's a cultural kind of thing that look. Um, how is it possible for you know a, a, a father to be led by the son? And listen, um, if there is going to be any kind of dispute, we will always go to the option that reduces the dispute, right? And so if the son knows that my father can't recite or whatever, he will let him lead. And then he then uses the powers of influence 
to make sure that that doesn't happen again, right? What do I mean by that? Uh, I mean by that, that that is... <laughs> then really there's some signs there, Lala. Signs. <laughs> so, um, uh, the, the uh, uh, how can I say? Um, you know, sometimes, especially for a son, it's very difficult to try to influence the father, right? And so he has to somehow do that by going, doing the dirty. Doing the dirty means going behind his back without going behind his back, going behind his back without anyone knowing that he did that. And that's, for example, going to the imam that, that is your local father's kind of imam and saying to him that, do you mind having a word, you know, that, um, uh, that it's important that the one who's most qualified leads the prayer. You, 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 got, you got what I'm saying? That kind of approach. So, uh, so that the situation is kind of, uh, how can I say, dealt with behind the scenes so that in the scenario the father eventually understands and so he doesn't give the son any kind of headache yeah and it is a general hikmah kind of thing um so yeah so umru just asks another kind of question which is interesting she goes would we expand or would we expand that respect to the authority concept to online groups like whatsapp when you're an admin etc etc yeah actually this concept is not it, this concept does not go up it actually comes down right the idea that is we're making qiyas upon salah is not the case actually we're making qiyas upon authority and going down so what i mean is that the evidence to establish the authority of the admin in a whatsapp group is already directly established by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says right so to obey Allah right? and those that have been put in authority over you. That's a direct text. So whether you like it or not, the admin of a group has been put in authority over you. That's not us. We don't need to do the kind of analogy from the prayer up. We come straight down from the Quran. That Quran is applied in the Khilafah. It's applied in a kingdom. That's what, you know, what we, we did... Uh, 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 we taught dominion, right? Uh, last weekend. Last weekend? Yeah. Last weekend. What day is today? Monday. Oh, yeah, okay. Last weekend's yesterday. All right, the weekend before then, yeah? Like seven, eight days ago. And part of the whole dominion kind of narrative was to show that Suleiman, he was not a Khalifa. That the idea is, is that authority exists regardless of the form. Now, Sulaiman was a king, right? And a king in an old school kind of, in a, I don't know about old school, but a king in a, in a, in a, in a non-Islamic kind of way in the eyes of many, in the eyes and the hearts and minds of many people. You know, that you can't have a religious kind of idea of a king. How can you for a prophet? Especially when a prophet is meant to be the one in authority anyway. And what we learn from the story of Sulaiman as well as the example of Muawiyah and, and you might have heard that we, uh, 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 you know, we haven't been speaking so much about the rest of the companions in the Umrah program because we don't have that opportunity. But you heard his name mentioned on Sunday, right? Remembers the reference to Muawiyah? Nope. I don't think so, unless I missed that. Maybe actually, maybe. No, I, no, I don't think so. We, we just mentioned his authority, just so that you're aware. Obviously, Muawiyah, Muawiyah, radiallahu an, 
He was the leader of the believers as well. But he was not chosen, not on merit. He was not a Khalifa like the rest of them. And in actual fact, he was, well, I don't want to say that he wasn't. Actually, he was on merit and he was chosen as such. But he, his authority took on the, the, the picture and the form of a kingship as opposed to a Khilafa, a caliphate, right? And his authority was no less than the Amir al-Mu'mineen of Ali radiallahu anhu or Uthman or Umar or Abu Bakr who preceded him. And the example that we were talking about was the fact that when at Uhud, uh, Muawiyah gave the ruling to um, excavate the graves of the Shuhada. That's no joke. Imagine that that's your parents, like Jabir's father, Jabir ibn Abdullah, his father, of course, Abdullah ibn Amr al-Haram, ibn Haram, al-Haram. He was one of the key Shuhada. He is the one who narrates the hadith. He goes, I remember that, that, uh, uh, that when the floods came and the, the, well, not the floods came. So the way that they were uh, doing the irrigation and the water working for the uh, date palms, you know, I told you all about the orchards and everything. They need to be well supplied through water. That comes through channeling water through Uhud and the mountains to create that kind of valley situation. For that to happen, uh, it would mean that the graves would be damaged and it would be flooded, waterlogged. In order for that to be avoided, he gave the order to have the graves excavated. And Jabir said that when I took my father out, my father was, his hand was upon the wound that he received that killed him, right? And he said that when I lifted his hand, the wound was fresh. The wound was fresh, we we're talking 55 years odd later, right? From the karamat of the shuhada. From the karamat of shuhada. When they excavate, like they actually take away the, the wrapping of the shrouding? No, but it disintegrates, right? The, 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 you see that um, what you what you see is that the bodies go through various and material goes through disintegration. So it freezes rigor mortis first, and then it starts to then go. Then it putrefies. The gas increases, explodes, whatever, whatnot. Everything that you're seeing here, the cloth goes very quick. But the fact that the bodies are recognizable, that you can see that the wound is fresh, etc., etc., then that's a, a proof, a intrinsic proof of the, the karamat, the miracles of the shuhada. Imagine, I mean, a basic person would expand and then explodes. I mean, it's horrible yani, when you think about a dead body. Within weeks, everything is all over, gone, and then the bones start to then become bare. That putrefaction happens to absolutely everybody and everything, right? So, anyway, um, so authority, I think, yeah. Is, it is analogous, it should continue, it carries on, it's something which is, which is uh, you know, it's to be applied in regardless of uh, uh, the different kind of uh, scenario. Yeah, Umrukaya mentions that, you know, people assign themselves as admins. Yeah, I, listen, let's not get into the, Michael was going into the politics of WhatsApp groups. Yeah, I sure, man, that's something else. Right. Um, so, yeah. Uh, to, 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 to finish this point off then, so you don't disrespect a person even if you're not intending to disrespect them, right? You seek, either you seek permission, right? Make it clear or you wait for them to give permission and then you lead the prayer. You don't just bow forward, I'm the big shot, I'm the big imam, I'm the big scholar and, uh, and you know, let the other person, let the other person take responsibility, the one whose authority it is, okay? Um, and Sheikh Uthameen says that this hadith uh, the lamb here, la, don't, okay, don't lead a man in his authority, 
is a statement which indicates prohibition. It's like it's serious. So it's haram to do that, to just go forward and assume that. But again, with his permission, it's okay. Um, and Sheikh says something interesting. He goes, this is something that we understand from the hadith. But this is something that even if the hadith was not there, even if this hadith didn't exist, this is something that we would understand from the qaida al-shari'iyah, yani from the principles of this religion anyway, that you do not uh, 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 yani he basically saying that even if there was no hadith that mentioned that you can't lead a, a, a congregation in a mosque that has an imam, imagine if people were walking into mosques that has an imam and just going forward. Imagine there was no hadith, but just the fact that they were doing that. It'd be complete chaos. Everybody thinking that they're the right for one. I'm the one who recites. I'm the one who's X. I'm the one who Y. No, it's not down for human interpretation. There's a system. Respect the system. No vigilante behavior. No personal decision making on behalf of others. And so on. Um, now, except with his permission. Except with his permission. What does that mean? There's two types of permission. Specific permission and general permission. A specific permission might be from the guy himself. The imam's there. He sees you, gets excited. You're his teacher. He's not going to lead you, Yani, because... Either he's embarrassed, ashamed, whatever, or because you are better than him. Maybe he's better than you, but it's embarrassment. Or maybe you are better than him because you're his teacher and he wants you to lead. So he goes, please, absolutely. You know, and then he comes up with all this kind of uh, rhetoric that there's, yani, la yufta wal imam malik in Medina and all this kind of stuff. You know, no one gives fatwa while imam malik is in Medina and there's no tayammum when there's water and all this bakwas, yeah? People come up with all this nonsense. But just, just say, all right, lead. Don't have to try to make me feel better while I'm doing it, right? Um, the second, that's a tawqil khas, that's a, like a, an appointing which is specific, that's done by the, um, the person himself. Then you have tawqil aam, meaning that you've got, um, you've got a, uh, a general kind of, uh, how can I, tawqil uh, aam, how would I describe that? I don't know how to, uh, to translate it, but the example would be, I'm the Imam, and I say, guys, listen, uh, you know how it is, sometimes I'm late, sometimes there's traffic, so if by five past I've not arrived, then put someone forward. Does that make sense? So that, compared to, I'm in the masjid, and I specifically directly say, uh, yeah, please lead the prayer. I don't want to lead, you lead. So that's, talking, that's specific appointing? Yeah. Delegating? Yeah, you know, putting that person forward, and then you've got like a uh, a, a, a a general one. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know how to, to to. But I think you get it, though, right? One's one specific, and the other one's general. A specific delegation and a general delegation. General delegation only to be applied, yani, in a certain scenario. Maybe that's one a way of putting it. Um, or that there's some kind of reason. Right? Some kind of reason. What could the reasons be? What are kind of valid reasons? Um, for example, that we know he's sick. We know that the imam's ill. We know that he's not going to turn up. It's not just a case that he's a little bit late. And I just want to speak about the late thing. You know, obviously in the West, we get a bit kind of touchy about that. Actually, maybe not just the West. Actually, maybe everywhere. Right? This idea that, that well, where's the imam? Where's the imam? Probably actually more in Muslim countries than non-Muslim. I don't know. I don't know. You know, here in the Saudi people are relaxed. Yeah? And they're not clock watching or. The Muaddin is usually, but otherwise. 
Otherwise, people are kind of relaxed. I'm just thinking about my village massage in, in Pakistan when I was there a couple of months ago. Yeah, I think they're very clock specific. Yeah. I don't know, but the point is, is that, you know, you do get people who are looking at, you know, TikTok, TikTok, and as soon as it becomes six o'clock, whatever, it's the congregation time. Where's Imam? Where's Imam? People start looking around. Yeah, Pakistan is a big thing. Yeah, now that I'm just, I've, I can vision it. Everyone's looking where, 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 where. And you've got to understand that the, uh, and people then panic and they stand up and then they, well, I don't panic, but they kind of rush the situation and they put the person forward to lead uh, the prayer. And this is wrong, all right? Because the prayer is only established when the Imam comes. We've got to kind of move away. There's a balance here, obviously. You can't be taking liberties and just bowling at quarter past six, yeah? And people are working and people are busy and whatever. But also, you can't be waiting and stand, uh, the worst, people stand up. Stand up and then turn around and kind of tut tutting when an Imam walks in at two past six. The Imam is the authority. The, the Jama'ah only starts when the Imam walks in. He can be late, he can be early. You've got to... The iqama shouldn't be given until the imam walks in. If the iqama doesn't go at a time. By the way, that's what happens here. Right? So, did you guys see the video that I recorded from the Rawda? Yeah, you know, on the, on the channel. Yeah, so I recorded, I think the first, I, I did a series of five, right? On the, on, the, on the channel, Telegram channel. So, the first one that I did, I was, you know, I said, I'm in the, I'm in the holding room. I'm in the holding area. You know, I said, I'm in the holding area. So when I said I'm in the holding area and I pointed and I said that that is the Mu'adhin station, yeah, that platform. And I said that when the Imam, when the Mu'adhin, he stands on there and sits there and everything, he's got his own full carpet and everything nice. When the Musalla, when the Mihrab, sorry, the, the, the place for the Imam was where Umar and Uthman had the Imam, which is over there at the front, he could see that without any, any problem. But then now that the Prophet's uh, mihrab is being used, i.e. the Imam is in the, uh, what's the word, uh, the Rawda, he's got an un, uh, what's the word? Un, um, unobstructed, unobstructed view of the Imam in the Rawda as well. And he will sit there and wait. He will sit, he will wait until that person, until that Imam comes and stands in his, in his place. When he comes, whatever time he comes, that's when he will give the iqama, right? And that's the sunnah to do. You wait for the imam, you wait for the, the, the mu'adhin to give the iqama, and then you stand up. So we can't be panicking, we can't be rushing the situation. So that's important. However, if we know that the imam is ill, we know that yani, there's some kind of issue, or he's called forward, this is, a, this is an excuse, this is a reason for a person to then lead the prayer because he knows that the imam is going to be late. That makes sense, yeah? Okay. Um... A, 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 a scenario, mas'ala. What if um, the people of the masjid, they did rush the situation. So a couple of minutes gone past six and they've just said, you know, sack this. And they told, you know, one of the, the knowledgeable ones, you lead the prayer. So he goes forward and he leads the prayer. Okay? Without the permission of the imam, without there being a reason for the imam, the imam then comes and he arrives at the end. And, you know, he just prays with the people. Is the prayer valid or not? What do you think? Huh? Yeah, according to a number of scholars, well, I don't number, but a small number of scholars, the prayer itself was invalid. That the prayer was invalidated, and you might say, why? The idea being 
that the uh, uh, hadith of la la ya ummanna do not let do not lead uh, or a, a man should not lead is prohibition which doesn't just make the act haram but invalidates the act as well that's the argument right our response is is that that's not the case every haram is not a uh, every haram act is not a negation of the validity of the act and so the class position is that no the act is an impermissible act but the prayer is valid the prayer is valid you do not need to repeat the prayer okay you do not need to repeat the prayer right okay and sheikh says that the asal and when you look at a scenario when someone does a haram act they've earned the sin for doing haram as for the prayer and its status what's this asal what is its status quo at the beginning the status quo is that it's a valid normal prayer to remove the validity of something you have to have a very clear evidence that removes it you've got to have a very clear evidence that comes and says you've been invalidated i'm sorry but this hadith does not come and remove the validity of the prayer and that's the Sheikh means explanation and that's the class position as well yeah if you have a situation in a country where, say, the Imam isn't necessarily the leader of the masjid, he's just the half of the Qari that leads, and you have a committee that decide, okay, we're going to invite a Qari to come over, the, the Imam isn't really giving his express, uh, his express epic, uh, permission, right? He's being kind of superseded in that. So what happens in, in that? Yeah, I mean, that, 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 that's a joke set up, completely unacceptable. Yeah. We can't have this kind of situation where the imam is the imam but not the imam yeah right he has to be respected the integrity of the imamate the, the 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 concept the idea the person has to be protected we cannot have just this approach where uh you know you lead the prayer and you know thank you very much but you're not actually the imam and we bring whoever we want and whatever this is just unacceptable okay um the exception to this and that's only a possible exception is when there is no kind of authority and there is no regular jama'ah and there's an understanding that there's different people amongst the congregation that whatever you know that lead the prayer here and there whatever so that's a more general kind of uh, uh, idea where there is no kind of imam and everybody knows and we put that in place in order to maintain order so that we don't have strangers just coming forward and leading the prayer so having some kind of system is better than obviously having nothing um you know, if you reflect upon something as well, when the Prophet Sallallahu and uh, you know, a, a person might also say, what's the evidence for taking this so seriously? Well, look at what Abu Bakr al-Siddiq did. When the Prophet Sallallahu was ill, that's the excuse, the prayer time was established, and Abu Bakr al-Siddiq went and led the prayer. And the Prophet Sallallahu was, became well enough to come out. This is in his final days. He comes out and the people are in such a, such a state of shock that we've just seen the Prophet ﷺ join the last prayer line. This is a congregational prayer and there's someone else leading it other than the Imam Ratib. Right? That they started to make yani, some sound and commotion to bring the attention of Abu Bakr al-Siddiq at the front. And he turns around. He turns around to work out what's going on, which is allowed because movement is allowed for a reason. He sees the Prophet ﷺ and he's like, you know, and he immediately, you know, uh, uh, 
says, right, and he makes his kind of movement to the back to, to you know, to take the, the, swap the positions basically and bring the Prophet in. And the Prophet indicates to him, no, no, you carry on. You carry on. So indicates that the Imam permission is key, number one, but also how serious it is that Abu Bakr Siddiq didn't hesitate and immediately wanted to, you know, um, not even imagine, even though there's a very real reason, very valid, he is the most senior after the, 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 the companion, uh, well, after the Prophet ﷺ. And so therefore, you know, we want, we want him to be uh, the one that is taking that responsibility. Yeah? But you, like I said, just the, the, the whole nature of the interaction indicates, um, you know, the seriousness of it. Right. Could that be applied to our one day? To what? To, to us now. Say, for example, we had a Imam and someone else was leaving the prayer and everyone started making noises when the Imam came in. I think there's space for it. Uh, Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar says that, that that's something which is permissible. He says that this incident is an evidence that it should be respected today as well. That if the Imam, what he basically said, which is interesting. In his opinion, he said that if Imam comes late, then he has the right to go to the front and basically say cheers for holding my position and straight take, take over straight away. Now the problem with that is that what if he's Mr. Raka? That's a real problem. So I'm guessing that that kind of statement was a kind of throwaway comment in a general sense on the proviso that is still in the first Raka, right? So he just comes in, just takes over, and, or maybe, I don't know, he starts again. I, I don't even know. I've never ever experienced that, seen it, thought about it. We just know. But the question you ask, he actually answered. He goes that surely the evidence of Abu Bakr and the Prophet ﷺ going through this leads to a legal precedent. Because the, the argument to oppose it would be, but that's the Prophet ﷺ. Our argument to that would be, would be, where do you think we get all our fiqh from? If it's not from the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ in this hadith is not a prophet. The prophet is the imam, right? So, um, unless there's evidence to indicate otherwise, it is something specific, yeah, specific to him. There's no evidence, right? Right, the next, uh, right, and um, yeah, I mean, Maryam and Fiza are saying the same thing. In the US, the Imams are hired by the Board of Trustees, and so he's already in a bestie position, disrespected Pakistan. The Imam salaries are paid by people of the area, which puts them in a compromise. The whole situation is a disaster, right? It, it, it's, it's just facts. Right, the imam kind of dynamic in the world today, it's just a difficult one. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a, and I don't know the solution to this. I don't. It's the reason why I am not an imam or in, or I take my earnings from religious work. Because you will never ever be respected by the people. It doesn't matter whatever happens. If you make your money through your religion, you will never be respected. You, uh, yeah. I'm always telling students that want to go and study, before you go and study, have some kind of profession or have a career pathway because it doesn't matter how much integrity you have and it doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter whether you're giving the greatest value for whatever you're giving, you're the greatest reciter ever or you're the greatest teacher ever or whatever it is, people will never respect someone that they end up paying, right? And, um, and the Prophet Sallallahu SubhanAllah, he's the prophet, he's the messenger, he's the leader, he's the warrior, he's the general. He is the absolute, like, grand leader, and still he does work and he does things to keep the respect of the people that he's not a freeloader. Can you imagine that? 
Can you imagine that he does those things so that people don't think he's a freeloader? Right? Neither freeloader at home upon his wives so that he doesn't <clears throat> so that people don't think that he's taking advantage of his yani of his wives. And then neither in the public arena. He doesn't like to be served. None of the prophets used to do that, right? You have that very famous narration yeah. in the in the in the um, the New Testament, which yani probably authentic, something that we'd accept, in which a, one of the disciples uh, lifted, picked up uh, the, the the bag to hold for Isa salam, and he he grabbed it. He said that I was sent to serve, not be served, right? That's the the you know the override overriding kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, um, it, it's a, like I said, I, there, there is no solution to this. How the Imam gets respect, I don't know. The, I mean, I don't wanna, this is gonna go get messy and ugly now. Right, but you got like, you know, Imams here. And if you keep the romance, I don't like, I don't like to burst romantic bubbles, that's a problem. <laughs> Should we just leave people in there? No, no, no. Romantic yani, bubble of ignorance? Like, I just want you to know, I, I don't need to mention some of them, but the point is, is that, that in your eyes, right, would a person go down in value as an imam if you know that he has tens of millions of pounds, like some of these imams do? That's something that you've got to deal with, because in our deen, there's nothing that suggests that. But people's whatever does that so you've got all these you know the, you saw the imam that led salah today thingy you look you'll go to mecca all your favorites all these kind of folks whatever whatnot and everybody just likes to not ask too many questions that's what we say don't ask too many questions right just enjoy the moment just go home right and just enjoy it if you start asking about you know their relations with their family and you know this and you know the earnings and their political positions and Blah, 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 blah. You become sick. You won't ever want to be led by any of them ever again. So you can't win. If you got the Imam of the Haram, he's not being respected by people. People in their hearts have got some issues. And we'll see Miskini and a guy, you know, who's been appointed by a load of people. You know, you know it's, a, it's a no win kind of situation. But subhanAllah, that person has his own job, right? His own profession. The whole game changes. Because when someone turns around and then says to him, you know, or shows any kind of disrespect, the way that they kind of speak back and put you in your place is awesome. You know what I'm saying? When you're not dependent upon the people anymore. Right? That's why Fire Abu Isa was the best time ever. Like, who? What? Fire who? Are they my mom and my dad? They're fish. It was awesome. Anyway, go on. Go on. Yeah. Oh, big time. Oh, I, 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 absolutely big time. I, let me tell you, let me tell you that we have this major problem, right, which has already started last 10 years, and it's going to reach a crisis point over the next 20, 30, in that the old school imams are all going to die out, and there is no immigrant imams anymore. These are the people who are happy to put up with that kind of crap. And they're happy to put up with those low wages, and they're happy to, and, but, and, and, 
I don't care about these two points, first two points. The third point is a point that kills me. They are supremely qualified. They are of extreme quality. Now we've got all this without, without throwing them all under the bus, but Generation Z, yeah, and you couldn't wipe my thingy, right? So they're rubbish. Their quality is rubbish. Their stamina is rubbish. Their effort is rubbish. Speaking in general, obviously, there might be a few exceptions here and there. One out of a thousand, right? And these are going to be our imams. I wouldn't get them to clean my car, let alone lead me in salah, right? So these are the people who are like, you know, wanting a latte every couple of, you know, every couple of hours. Where's my latte? Where's my thingy? I want to drive my Tesla, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you, you're expecting these folks to last and to recite for hours and about hours. These are not Ahlul Quran in the first place then they are th those that have their general needs. Uh, but I'm not hating on those needs. They're a different culture, different whatever. They need to have apple this, apple that, whatever. I think of our, our Sheikh Miskin. He doesn't know what apple was if, unless he's eating it. Right? He, you know, simple, drives, whatever, whatnot. Is he any way lesser than the modern generations? It's just that his culture is different. When he recites, you can see this is old school. People are going to be crying over the next 10, 20 years when they lose they're existing Imams and they have to depend upon the young generation, millennials, whatever. They don't have the patience. They don't have the ability. You look at, the, I'm, not speaking, I'm not speaking just about, you know, my generation or I'm not coming down at like this. I'm just saying if you look at these Ahlul uh, 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 Quran, the older folks, the 50 year olds, the 40 year olds, the people that come from outside, they're not obsessed with their phones. Can you imagine some of these yani, scholars and du'at? Whatever you know, I've called out my own colleagues, right? My own friend. I don't want to. Don't make me any. Don't make me do Yasser's bestie and Omar's bestie and all of them bestie again. They drive me nuts. That you sit down for one second, the phone's out. Can you imagine these people being the imams of a masjid? A person will argue we don't want them to be the imams of a masjid. I say now that's better. That's fine. Say that we want them out there doing the da'wah, doing the teaching, doing the political work. But people like them are the ones that are being left in the masjid. That have the same dependency upon the phone, the same. So they don't then spend the right time revising the Quran and to getting better in the Quran and 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 it's gonna lead to a major, major quality problem. It is. Absolutely is. That was the opposite of my No, it wasn't. Yes. You wanted it, you it wanted to poke the bear, and you poked that big bear. It wasn't the quality concern. It was actually the community isn't good. It, like that attitude that, that forces, you know, what do you call it? That, that, that forces them to accept low wages and poor treatment and all that kind of stuff. Bro, it's not the wages. Bro, American imams, are you kidding me? Low wages. No, the big one, the big shoes. Yeah, the, 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 the big, okay, the big mosques. But I mean, even, even if you say big mosques, there are a lot of medium-sized mosques as well that have some kind of system, right? Look, we're mostly a UK kind of group, yeah? So let me tell you guys, right? In America, they don't have a, just an imam. They have a second imam paid for. They have resident scholars paid for. They have youth coordinators. Can you believe that? They have a role that they can afford to pay youth coordinator. Like what on earth, right? They're funded. They got basketball courts. They got. You guys <laughs> see that? You know. I mean, by the way, in Cheetah we have a football pitch and a cricket pitch. But you know, we are like the exception on the universe in the UK. Because we're in a village. We're in a village, basically. Yeah, I mean, that's something else. But but you know, the norm and. I, and I'm saying that even in 20 years time where the congregation is educated and professional, even in like the UK and whatever, and they're happy to pay corporate sums, I don't think the money will, set, will solve this. The quality of the people 
is just, you know, whatever much money that you, you spend, I think that the quality of the new future imams is not what it needs to be with the Quran and so on. And I know that's a massive generalization and I hope they prove me wrong, but I know they're not, okay? And then we've still got the problem that I'm paying my guy $100,000 a year. You will do what we tell you to do. And everyone's got an ego. Where has this class gone, by the way? Where did we start? And where has it gone? Right. Is <laughs> maybe they are revising Quran on their phone. Don't judge me. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Right, okay. So let's now, the next part. So whoever prays and then the, the iqama is established. Or the, 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 the fard prayer is then established. So for example, he paid at home and then he went to the masjid. Right? So he prayed uh, at home. It doesn't matter whether he prayed it by himself or he prayed it in a congregation as well. That's the ajib part. That he might have prayed it like, you know, with his missus and kids and then gone to the masjid because he's got something to do or he's got a lesson. And the lesson, you know, he thought was starting, but when he got there, the prayer starts. That's the scenario. What should he do? It is sunnah and yu'idaha illa al-maghrib. It is a sunnah for him to repeat that prayer other than the Maghrib prayer. Let's look at this. The evidence is, is because the Prophet Sallallahu said in a hadith narrated by my Muslim, This hadith narrated by Imam Muslim, hadith number 648, right? The translation of this hadith is, the Prophet ﷺ said, pray the prayer on time, pray the prayer on time, but if the prayer is established and you are in the masjid, then pray. And don't say, I've prayed already, so I'm not going to pray. That's the hadith. Is it clear? So you've already prayed, you've come to the masjid, the, the jama'ah is established. Don't say, hey, I've already prayed, so I'm not going to pray. So it's clear that you're meant to repeat your prayer. Okay, so uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, so for example, if the prayer has been delayed for some reason, uh, then uh, this is the meaning of the hadith. Let's say that the congregational prayer is delayed. The imam is not coming. The people are not coming to the mosque. Maybe you got it wrong, whatever it is. And you're looking at your time and thinking, man, you know what? This is the prayer time. Remember the prayer is meant to be prayed on uh, early times. And you're not seeing any kind of movement on the big, on the big scene. So you say, all right, I'm going to pray. You pray and then as soon as you know you're about to leave, the people start coming in and the prayer is about to be established. You now pray with the imam, okay? The Prophet and we have another evidence as well. The Prophet said, uh, the, 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 the Prophet prayed Fajr one day in Masjid al Khayf. We will see that, inshallah, on. What day is today? Monday. Tomorrow we go for Umrah. Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah, Wednesday afternoon. All right? We will go past Masjid al Khayf. All right? Masjid al Khayf is a very special mosque. One should make an attempt to pray in. Um, in the days of Hajj, it's not really kind of open and available. And it's a masjid in which many of the, over 70 of the prophets have prayed in at some point in history. In that area, obviously not the original kind of building as it is now, but it's a special place. The Prophet would pray there as well to revive that kind of, uh, that barakah. So he was pray he prayed Salatul Fajr in it one day whilst he's staying in Mina. So this is obviously in days of Hajj. And this is in the Mina area, of course, yeah. And 
when he finished the prayer, he turned around, he saw two guys who were just sitting by the side. We covered this hadith, obviously, a couple of times in this class, yeah? And they were sitting by the side, and um, they had not prayed. So he said, he called them, and they were really kind of stressed out, like, oh my God, out of fear of the Prophet And he said, What prevented you both from praying with us? Why didn't you guys pray with us? They said, Ya Rasulullah, we prayed in our tents. We've already prayed, actually, and we came to the masjid. So we've already prayed. And the indication is that we, meaning that they probably prayed a congregation. So not even like we did a cheeky single, but, you know, did a proper kind of congregation. But we prayed in our tents. The Prophet ﷺ said, إِذَا صَلَّيْتُمَا فِي رِحَالِكُمَا ثُمَّ أَتَيْتُمَا مَسْجِدَ جَمَاعًا فَصَلِّيَّ مَعَهُمْ فَإِنَّهَا لَكُمَا نَافِلًا if you guys pray in your homes, in your base, in your tents, where you're staying, in your lodgings, if you pray and then you come to the masjid where there is a congregation, then pray with them and it will be written for you as a nafil, a super rogatory, extra additional reward. Okay? And this hadith is in the Sahih, we've mentioned it many times. Sheikh says that what we pick up from this hadith, what we learn from this hadith, is that the always in the scenario of a, a repeating a, repeat, a repeated obligation, the second one always is nafil. So it doesn't matter whether the first one was a higher quality or not, whether it was prayed by itself or not, whether it was in a massive mosque or not, but the first one will take uh, obligatory status and value, and the second one will take the nafil one. Even if that one's better, you enjoyed it more, longer, doesn't matter. First one, when it comes to obligations, is the one that, that, that takes that position. Um, so therefore, Sheikh says, if a person is in a masjid and prays, then goes to another masjid to attend for a dars, or he has some kind of need, and, uh, you know, uh, whatever, and he finds them praying, then he should pray with them, okay? And that will be a sunnah uh, for him. Sheikh says, uh, yes, to bridge. Um, so when you like, go to like, one masjid, pray with the group, and then for whatever reason, let's say to go pick someone up, you go to another masjid. And That's exactly what this is saying. Exactly what you just said. Whatever reason, you went to another masjid to pick them up. But if you was outside in a car, you wouldn't. But if you went in and you basically have witnessed the congregation, you got to pray with them. That's the point. Okay. Question. Um, this is an interesting one. إِذَا أَدْرَكَ بَعْضَ الْمُعَادَةِ so I've prayed my obligatory prayer. Alright? Let's say Dhuhr. I prayed four raka'ah Dhuhr done complete. I now need to go and pick up my guy. He's not coming out. I go in to find out what's up. And I realize that the, the reason is because they're praying the Jama'ah. So I join. I don't know where they are in the Salah. It ends up that that was actually, there were two rakai in. So when I joined them, I'm joining them in the third. Right? The Imam gives salam. What do I do? Alright, let's go through the different scenarios. So Tanweer has put scenario one forward. Is it according to intention when you've gone in? You've seen them, you know it's the hard time, you're thinking four, local masjid, I'm going to pray four. 
So you're saying you got to pray for because you intended for. Any other scenarios? We were intending enough for, enough for lack, right? Right. And as well, at the same time, we were intending to follow the imam. It's a nafal act and, yeah, okay, you intend to follow the imam, so therefore what, you should pray it full? No, just follow the imam until the end. It's, it's, you're not intending to pray the, the actual prayer, the actual part again, right? Right. So, so you're not bound to a certain number of rakat then? Mm. Yeah, so, so you're saying that you just give salams to the imam, you prayed whatever, it's only nafal? Then what's the point of like even attending it in the first place? You've got at least something out of it. You added to their jama'ah, you took something. But then it would be from an issue if you, if you only got three rakats. If you only got three rakats, it would be an issue. Why would it be an issue? Because you can't do enough And this is where the scholars started to differ. They, uh, uh, um, um, and just to go back to your first point, the idea of I'm intending for rakah goes also back to a more fundamental point, which is when you enter into any prayer, why do we restrict ourselves with a number? Right? Like if I was to switch that and say that we know that the Imam is about to pray with her. When you pray behind the Imam, do you say, I'm praying three raka'ah behind the witter? Three raka'ah witter behind an Imam? No, I mean, uh, intend it, I'm saying. Do you? How do you know he's going to pray three? What if he prays five? What if he prays one? Would you get up and pray two more? Mm. Um, this is under the assumption that you know the imam is going to pray. No, that's the, under the assumption that you don't know. If you know, then there's no question. And what I'm trying to illustrate is the trap. We've trapped ourselves by putting a number there. I am always telling people, never put yourself under the stress of a number. All right? Your intention should be kept nice and easy. When you walk into a masjid, say that, yeah, the Dohar fam, I'm going to pray Dohar behind this Imam. If you keep it nice and relaxed like that, as a Musafir, you're hoping and praying that he's a Musafir as well. He does a cheeky too. You do a cheeky too. Job done. You bowl in already saying, yeah, I'm here to knock out four like a good Muslim, yeah? And my guy's Musafir, you're just giving yourself a headache. You're having to change intentions and this and that, whatever. The Witcher is the easiest example. When the Imam stands up for Witr, I never in my life ever said, yani, I'm praying three behind my guy, thinking to myself. I'm like, hey man, I'm praying whatever this guy is praying. However he's praying, because that's another point, right? He might do two and a one. He might do three Maghrib style, Hanafi style. He might do three up, 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 yani, with one tashahud. What's your intention when you're praying behind the Imam? He doesn't advertise it. He could be doing a five unit prayer, which is a Witr. He could be doing a single unit prayer. Why am I, yani, why am I giving myself a headache? I'm going to come in, man's praying witr, I intend to pray witr behind the imam, whatever he prays, I'm going to pray, that's it. Does that make sense? You don't need to specify the units, you're creating your own kind of, uh, like, uh, I don't know what you're creating, you're creating a situation. Anyway, what does Sheikh Uthameen say? He goes, نقول, So if he gives the Salam with the Imam and he's prayed two units, okay, then it's okay. Then it's okay to do that. So basically what you said, Ibrahim, yeah? Because Nafal is easy and it's done two units, convenient, and that's how we pray. We pray in twos and fours. But, 
It's enough, but he doesn't need to complete it. doesn't need to pray for the whole thing. He's done two, that's enough. Yeah. But if he completes it, it's better. There's no doubt about it because he had that intention to pray for. So if he completes it, then that's better. Because of the general statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Whatever you catch them praying, whatever you have missed, then make it up. That's a general ruling which shouldn't just be, you know, you should apply it across the board. All right? Um, now, we'll come to the next point in a second. Would we? No, I don't know about that. That looks quite big. No, I don't, I don't think we will. But yeah, let's just discuss that and then take some questions because it's getting late. And Mesa is going to be the happiest woman on this planet right now. She's like, oh my God, we actually stopped. Right. So... Hafsa, do you want to make up your mind? Do you want to do it here or do you want to do it over there? My girl's only writing here and she's sitting over there. Look, that's causing trouble, isn't it? All right? Now, let's go back to the three rakah situation. If a, if a person's prayed three rakah with the imam, I'm with you. I think that that person shouldn't just write, write it off and I think you should get up and, and add another one. Just because it's in a weird kind of place, you know? Like, what's the three rakah thing? But I'm, I, I, I don't think it's a complete disaster if he doesn't. Get up because it is something which is not the original but no I, i'm with you i think that he should get up and pray another one right any questions on this or anything else yes Tana. so you're saying that if someone is already prayed and they've gone into the masjid and they have to pray the jama'ah and they catch three rakats the jama'ah and they don't complete the one it's okay but they should complete the one i, I want to not even say it's okay i'm saying that really that person should get up the okay scenario is if he only prays two with the imam then it's okay, you give salams with the imam, but it's better to pray for as well. But if he got three with the, or she got three with the imam, it's, it's good to get up. You should get up. I don't want to make it obligatory hardcore, but no, you should get up because there is no three raka'ah or one raka'ah, nafal prayer. Technically, which there is, of course, if we put witr in that kind of category, but then you start getting controversial. So, um, what happens if someone is, is a traveler and they, you know, for example, they, they pray their Maghrib and their Isha and then they happen to meet a friend or whatever, different masjid, different town, whatever, and Isha's begun, and then it feels like... What was the point? What, on the other hand, what was the point of the concession? To, what was the point of the concession of a traveler where I'm having to repeat the prayer again? And, yeah, and also, if I'm not supposed to do the Sunnah Salahs, yeah, and you're making me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good point. I mean, you know, uh, uh, you're already expecting to have an easier ride as a traveler, and now you're going into masjid and have to pray it again. Okay. However, it could be argued that the actual ruling will came down on a traveler. Right. So the the, the second hadith of the two men who prayed in their tent, they are upon the ruling of travelers. Right, they are making qasr of their prayer because everyone who's at Hajj is a traveler. That's why we pray Maghrib three, uh, Dhuhr two, Asr two, all through the days of Mina. That's how we do that in uh, in, um, in the people of Ar Arafah as well. People of Makkah, yeah, I need some discussion difference, and you know that's a big debate in itself. But so as a traveler, though, especially like us, um, I still think that you would do it. I think that. Is this is now not? We we kind of like I don't say disqualified the kind of concession nature of where we're at, but we found ourselves into a unique kind of scenario where the concession kind of just 
we just put burden upon ourselves? I mean, the easy answer is to not put yourself in that scenario, right? Nowadays, we know. I mean, it, you know, back in the day, something quite different. No watches, no timetables available, no phones to check what time is it in your mosque. You know, in those days, it's very likely to finish in one place and go into another. Nowadays, person finishes in a masjid where he knows that the jama'ah is at 6.30 and he goes to another mosque in which he knows the jama'ah is 7 to pick up his mate. Bro, you're asking for trouble. So, so, so it's better to set the niyyah to dodge a salah. Don't want to set. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Slap me across the face right now, you know what I mean? But no, I actually think that the person who, the, the traveler, that he does this, he should embrace it and not think in a concessionary kind of way that, look, I was meant to be getting a concession today and I ended up, you know, doubling up. I'm saying, well, hey, I mean, it's only that happens once in a person's lifetime, right? Well, how many times does that actually happen? Just embrace it. That's, that's, why, that, that, that's, why, that's why I'd be saying uh, Chaudhary, well done on time. Muhammad Mudir is on time. Very good. Wa alaikum salam. Ibrahim, are there any current restrictions in Mecca Medina like not being able to close to the coming close to the Kaaba? That's correct, Ibrahim. You can't touch the Kaaba and you can't touch the Black Stone or the Yemeni uh, corner. That's still in place. Um, uh, where are we now? Should the Sunnah be repeated as well? No, Noor. The Sunnah is not repeated. The Sunnah is not repeated. Um, does that apply to... Fard prayer is repeated at home also, i.e. if you repeat it, then the repeated Fard prayer is written down as a supererogatory prayer. Well, you wouldn't be repeating a Fard prayer at home. So we don't want to create a bid'ah. Allah does not want the obligatory actions from us twice. This is unacceptable innovation in the religion. Obligatory actions are only once. So you don't do this at home. We're talking about very situational circumstances. This is a scenario that happens once in a blue moon where you find this is not something to think, yeah, I should be, you know, even finding myself in a scenario. In what scenario would you repeat the prayer at home anyway? So what if you pray by yourself and then you're stuck on someone and they want you to pray by yourself? What are you, you going to find out and give me a hard one for? <laughs> um, you pray by yourself and then they are thinking. I still don't think that you would pray. Because unless, unless there's a system at home where we establish, you know, the girls especially, we establish the congregational prayer at six o'clock, for example, well-known, well-established, and then you prayed before then, and then they did come on time. Maybe there's an argument, but even then I don't feel comfortable with it. We can't be taking this to the home situation. It starts getting out of control. Right? It's a dangerous precedent. That's, that's what I want to say. Um, Canadian Imams will always announce how many rakat of witr. They just do that to make things easy. Right? But I mean, you see, it's interesting, right? That's the same as the Imam turning around and saying that, okay, in this unit, we're going to do a sajda. Yeah? Now, on one hand, this is awfully nice of that person. You know, people can prepare for it. I hate this. I really hate it. And I'd, be, I'd much prefer to put that into the bid'ah category than anything else. Because you are adding something... I mean, I don't think it is a bid'ah, but if I was arguing it as a bid'ah, I would be saying that you are, are adding an announcement in a place where the Prophet ﷺ did this quite regularly and never made an announcement. And you're doing it because you think it's better that the people know about it. Now, I'll just give you some scenarios. Yeah? Think about this. 
this point can go very wrong very quickly, yeah, because it can make me angry. That's the problem. All right. You see, if we were following the Sunnah, this I think this conversation would not come up because the obvious problem with this situation of a sajda, for example, yeah, or even a witter, for example, actually, witter is a good, is a good example too, is that if all the people could see the imam like they should, and the women are not being locked off in a room, we don't have this problem, and we have a big room. And it doesn't matter whether you're a plum or jahil or don't know anything about the Qur'an. When you see everybody fall into prostration, you fall into prostration. Who says that you have to be intellectually prepared for the ayah of sajda? Right? Imam turns around and says to you, right guys, we're going to be you know, doing... They'll, they'll be, he doesn't say that actually. You know what he turns around and says? In this first rakah, there'll be a sajda. Now, you're then there and you're now thinking, you know, your whole mind is now focused on the sajda, the whole thing. Right? The great thing about a sajda is that it suddenly, you know, the ayah comes, you hear it, and bam, the impact, bam, you fall to the floor, bam. Why not have the people do that? Oh, we don't want to confuse the people. No, the people are confusing themselves. Let them get more literate in the Quran. And you know what? So what if they get confused? When everybody goes to sajda, they're going to go to sajda, right? So, but then you think about the alternative, what's going to happen? Well, the women are going to have a heart attack. They're all going to go for ruqwa, yeah? Because they ain't got a clue what's going on, right? Then you've got the men who are obviously, some know what's going on, some don't. You know what I'm saying? So the situation's all over the place. I mean, I, so announcing the raka'at of witr again is something which the Prophet didn't do, right? I don't know. I don't like it. I don't think it's haram though. Because they're doing it for the benefit of the jama'ah without saying it's a religious requirement, which saves it from being a bid'ah. But... I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. That's what I want to say. Um, and just to finish off, any other, you know. Yeah, Mesa said, Mesa called it right. To say Canadian imams do this, she's never heard it. I don't see any imams doing it, turning around telling you I'm going to do this many raka'a with her and so on and so forth. Anyone do, heard that? In Canada. We actually talked about this, what, yesterday? In uh, uh, in Cal uh, Calgary. I think no reaction. That is tough, man. She's tough, mashallah. My guy completely and he did the suplex on her head, yeah? It happens daily. No, Mr. man. She, was, she survived. Um, yeah. I don't think it's a common thing. Yeah, that's the problem. You just, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't make the announcement, why did you do that? Why do sajda in the salah? Blah, blah, blah. Imam. Who would be an imam? Just tell me that. Cussed by the people, loved by the people, hated by the people, disrespected by the people. And this is your actual only obligatory prayer. Yeah. yeah, but you haven't prayed yet, I'm saying, have you? Yeah, so you've walked into the masjid, they're praying for Fard, you've walked in on the second unit. One. Yes. No. Your first rakah that you pray with the Imam is your first rakah. So you are praying your fourth when you stand up. Your first unit was your second one with the imam, the, the, the imam second. So when you stand up, when you, when you stand up, that is your, 
you've prayed three. Your first was the second, this Imam's second one, right? So when the Imam gives salams, you've prayed three and you stand up to pray the fourth. This is the position of the three scorns, the majority is our class position. The position of Abu Hanifa is the opposite. But I don't get into that, that's complicated. Correct, you just add one at the end. In this scenario, even the Hanafis would add one at the end, but it's irrelevant. The Shahud. Correct, you, if, if you join them in the Shahud, yeah. right, that means you missed two, or you missed however many you've missed, yeah. you stand up and then you make up all the rest. Um, right, I'm just going to answer some of these questions that are off the uh, topic. If I'm visiting my father's house and he's unable to go down for sujood due to his artificial knee, will that be an exception that will allow me to lead the prayer? This is a very important question, this. Is a sitting imam that's more qualified give priority to the sittedness? Yani, sorry, do we give priority to the fact that he's better or do we accept it or not? Yani, this, this is the discussion concerning whether a uh, it's permissible to pray standing behind an imam who's seated or whether we should all sit down. And it's an it's a, it's a issue, issue which is going to come up later, right? We haven't come to it and I don't want to rush this scenario now. But just to answer Rafiq's question, it absolutely is an exception to lead the prayer. Absolutely a reason. But you should definitely get the buy-in of your father, 100%. People generally, by the way, when they're sitting down, they don't like to lead the prayer. So it makes it easier. But you should definitely get the buy-in. Yeah, definitely get the buy-in. Right, let's just, just finish off now because it's going late. Uh, I'm studying dentistry at uni and for our afternoon clinic sessions, we have been told we aren't allowed to leave while a patient is present. In winter where Asr is at risk, what should be done? Should I combine with Dhuhr beforehand? And if I get a chance to sneak out of patient leaves, repeat Asr in its correct time? That's a very good question. It's a very, very good question. Um, so first of all, it is permissible to combine the prayers on the odd occasion when there is emergency need to do so, right? And I say emergency, I mean it's got to be exceptional. It can't become every month and every week and whatever. It's got to be on a... Uh, by the way, it could theoretically be every week, but my point is, is that you're praying every day at work without any problems, but in one particular session, this happens. So that's what the combining permissibility is there for. We can't make it haram. So you'd use that permission and do it. The question is now, what do you do if you then come, you know that that patient's going to be there. I won't be able to get out even for a second, which I always question, by the way, whether that's true or not. But, you know, because people don't push it, right? But let's just say it is and you don't know all the sums and worked it out, had all the discussions. You then combine with Dhuhr, you pray the Asr and know when the Asr time comes in later of, sorry, uh, Asr has kicked in and you do now find the patient cancelled and you've got the opportunity, you are not to go and pray the Asr again on time. Because the Asr that you prayed was valid and correct and this is not the same situation of repeating the prayer because of congregation is occurring. This is you doubting the quality of your first prayer which you cannot open the door to. That's what's worse rubbish that is. Yeah, so we won't allow that to happen. Sia says, my grandmother passed away um, Allah yarhamha. Last Jum'ah, last week, Hasiyah? A lot of Muslims are saying it's a sign of good ending because of the hadith that says every Muslim that passed away on the night of the day of Jum'ah 
will not taste the trials of the grave. Is this hadith authentic? And is the hadith taken literally? I don't know the hadith that I'm paraphrasing what I'm heard. That is correct. The hadith is authentic. It is one of the signs of Husn al-Khatima to pass away on the Friday, to pass away whilst doing good, to pass away with sweat on the forehead, to pass away yani, whilst in the acts of ibadah, pass away in sajda. These are different various acts that show a good sign. Passing away on the, on the Ramadan, passing away in Jum'ah, absolutely. However, this comes with a condition. The kuffar also pass away in Ramadan and on Friday and this and that. The munafiqeen also pass away like that. The mujrimeen also pass away like that. So the condition is that a person is a practicing Muslim and doing good. And if they're practicing Muslim doing good and they pass away on one of these days or one in one of these ways, it's a fabulous sign, mashallah. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to accept uh, that from her hasiyah. All right, I think, um, yeah, I think we'll call any questions in this uh, thingy. Are we good? Barakallahu feekum. What, what announcements do we need to make? Ah, the big announcements we need to make is that on my return, we have the launch of Paradise Portfolio. Are over three consecutive, well, over two weekends, but three consecutive classes. They're all a different, no, sorry, two weekends. two weekends. Three different classes, but over two weekends, all the flexibility that you want, but make sure that you sign up for it. It's one of these pay-as-you-go kind of things. You, you can pay nothing or pay a little. So to encourage as many people to attend because people don't take this seriously. If people are using finances as a result, to, as a reason to not make it, then you don't need to pay for it at all. It's on zakat and it's on the most important matters concerning zakat that people frankly don't have a clue about. So that's an eight hour class, four hours and four hours over this kind of mixture of time zones. It starts on the 19th of March and then it goes on to the 26th. So I go to almaghrib.org and you'll see it, Paradise Portfolio, be aware of it, that's on. Aqsa is going to be having to close soon because the hotel wants to finalize on the bookings. Don't miss out on that. That's going on the 31st. Anything else we need to say? Anything? Next week, the uh, class should be on time. Jazakumullah khair for everybody. And also because it's... Uh, we, should, we haven't done this for a long time, actually. To show the folks online the view that we have. So they can say, MashaAllah. Here we go. These are all the dusters around here, anyway. <laughs> These are the little monkeys that have been yani, having all the fun throughout the class. Killing us. And this... Did you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. Okay. All right. There we go. MashaAllah. We hit the jackpot in this trip, by the way, boys and girls. That is a wonderful sight. By the way, just so that you can understand a few things, right? Why are you guys so scared? No? There we go. Right? Un un unrestricted. So if you look at this here, they've cleared it out completely. There used to be the exhibitions around here as well. And you can see that they've got rid of them all at the bottom. This is the Moving Pick Hotel. So you can see the angle. This is the Souq al-Manakh, which is of course the Souq of the Prophet They've maintained the area. And you can see Ghamama in the corner, all the way down there at the front with the orange lights, where the Prophet used to pray the Eid prayer and so on. And uh, etc. And then there's of course Mr. Nabi. Beautiful, inshallah. That's about it. Alright, guys. I just risked my entire phone there, by the way. And we survived, alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khair, subhanakallahumma, bihamdika, shahadu wa la ilaha 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 